Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Onward, a study in the book of Acts. Together, we're learning how to live as an ordinary people, empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Thanks for listening. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's been the last fifth of your Bible if you're turning to it. We're going to be in chapter one and part of chapter two today. And uh, if you are using one of the black Bibles in the seat rack near you, you can pull it out and turn to page 882 and you'll be right there. We're in this series that Steve started last week called Onward. And today I want to talk to you about a phrase that comes from Luke 24, 49, where Jesus says, wait until you have received power from on high. In other words, you can't do what I'm going to call you to do in your own power. And I don't know if you're like me. I totally relate to that. I was thinking back to the first few years uh, before uh, I was just getting started trying to learn what it meant to follow Jesus. And I just remember when I'd be reading my Bible or I would go to pray or I would be talking with other Christians. And I just remember this, this idea kept going through my head. God, I need help. <laughs> I'm not good at this. I don't, I don't understand all the time why I'm doing what I'm doing, what I need to do next. All those things went through my mind. And it reminded me, there was a guy when we were back at the old building there on Outer Park. I remember there was about 200 of us at that time at Cherry Hills. And, and uh, there was a guy named Ed who I loved and eventually was in a small group with. And Ed was just so honest. And he'd come to know Christ later in life. And so he was doing all the things that he, you know, as best he could to follow Jesus. And then he just said one day in one of our classes, he says, Can, is anybody else wonder what I wonder? I just wish sometimes God would tell me what his part is and what my part is. If, it, if he would just make it that simple, I think I, I, I'd do a lot better. And I remember thinking, man, that's right. If we, once we understand what God's part is in this whole deal and what our part is, it can really transform things. So I want to talk to you about some of that today as we come to Acts 1 and Acts 2, and we talk about what does it look like for us to have power from on high. So as you're following along the notes, here's the, the big idea of our series in Onward as we walk through these chapters in Acts, is that we see ordinary people, if you're following along, we see ordinary people empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Ordinary people empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Why, where did we get that idea? Last week, when Steve kicked off the series, we saw in chapter one that Luke, this incredible historian, says, look, I have put together an account uh, that's orderly and everything, and I want you to know, but I recorded in my last gospel, Luke, all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Now in Acts, I'm gonna show you what he continues to do and teach through ordinary people people that were just as surprised as you and I would be if God really started powerfully working through our lives. And so as we think about that continuing, this is the big idea. If you're following along, what Jesus did in, in verse eight, in fact, let me just read that first before we, we talk about that line in the notes. Would you just mind, this is how Steve ended last week. This is as far as his text went. Jesus had already said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My father promised in verse four, um, and, uh, and then he says this in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says this, notice he says, wait. So if you're following along in the notes, after saying, wait for the Holy Spirit, Jesus ascends. 
after saying, wait to his disciples, wait, don't leave the city. Don't try and do it in your own power. Wait for the promise, the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. That's the only reason, that's the only way you can do it is if you have power from on high. So as we think about this, I, I just want to think just a little bit about Jesus' mission for a second. Jesus' mission isn't just to make a difference in your life and mine. That's part of it. Aren't you glad? But he also cares for people that we haven't even met yet. God's mission is to touch every nation of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's always had a world on his heart. And so as we think about that, when he says to his disciples, join me in my mission, that's your part. My part is to give you power to do it and show you how to do it. But join me in my mission. I don't know about you, but if I was those early disciples, I'd be going, excuse me? That's big. I don't know. How, how can we possibly do that? And the question is a good question. And Jesus has an answer for it. I'll tell you how you do it with me and with power that I give you from on high. So let's look at this today. If you look at the notes, you'll see that in the passage I have here today, which is over 30 verses, we're gonna have to move through it quickly, but we'll see what was life like? What did they do? How did they respond before the Holy Spirit comes? And then what happened when the Holy Spirit comes? How did that begin to help them with their part with the mission? How did they join Jesus? So if you haven't been with us, here's our vision statement. Let's just read it one more time. I hope these words continue to sink more deeply into you, but let's read it full voice. To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And by every generation, we also mean every nation. This is God's size. We want to see what Jesus wants to do in the world. So would you pray with me? And then we'll dig in. Now, Lord, I relate to Ed. You know this is an ongoing journey for each of us in this room. No matter how many years we've been walking with you, we still need your help. We still need your power. We still need your relationship. And so I would just pray you'll meet each person no matter where they are. If they're still on the way and haven't even started, I pray you'll meet them today. And if they've been walking with you for years, I pray, oh God, that your Holy Spirit would make Jesus real to them in even deeper ways. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I wanna invite you to read verses nine through 11 with me. Before we do that, if you're following along in the notes, notice that before the Holy Spirit is given, in a cloud, Jesus is taken up before their very eyes into heaven. In a cloud, Jesus is taken up before their very eyes into heaven. Remember, he says, you'll, you, you will receive power to be able to live this mission that I'm giving you. And right after that, that's when he ascended into heaven. So it, it actually happened. It was a physical thing, a historical thing that happened. But let's look at the verses together. And I've listed verse nine in that first grade box, and then I'll read verse 10 and 11. Would you join me? After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, verse 10 and 11, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
One of the things I loved last week about Steve's message is how he said, look, when you're reading Acts, you are reading a phenomenal historian, Luke's words. This is not some kind of idea, concept, make-believe, friends. This is the words of eyewitnesses that have been checked out. Now, John Stott says something interesting that under, underscores this. He says, Luke emphasizes the presence of eyewitnesses and repeatedly refers to what they saw with their own eyes. He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. The two angels then said to them, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Five times in this extremely brief account, it is stressed that the ascension took place visibly. Luke has not piled up these phrases for nothing. He's saying, look, this actually happened. Now, that would have been a, a sight to watch Jesus go, bye. And they were like, oh, wow. I mean, you're not only greater than gravity. No one's like you. Now, why, why was the ascension so important? There's no way I can possibly do a message on the ascension right here. And some of you will be glad. But let me just say that we have taught on this before. And so on the screen, if you ever want to go to our website under sermons, uh, you can actually look this up. On May 28, 2017, we gave a message then. We actually gave messages years before this too that are not on our website. But just know that if you want to learn more why Jesus' ascension is so important. But let me just do the cliff notes right now. Jesus had been for 40 days, the Bible says, after he rose from the dead, he made appearances to people sometimes individuals, sometimes all his disciples, at one point over 500 people at one time. This is attested to. These were eyewitnesses. They saw him with their own eyes. They saw his wounds, his scars. So when Jesus was appearing like that, how long was that going to go on? There had to come a point where Jesus had to go to his father, like he said. So after these 40 days, the ascension is that marker. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he made sure they were clear on their assignment. And then he ascended. And when he ascended, the Bible says is that he didn't just like go up in the air and go into outer space. He went to a very specific place, to the right hand of God the Father, which is speak for the place of ultimate power and authority. So if you're following along in the notes, notice that Jesus is Lord at God's right hand interceding. Jesus is Lord at God's right hand interceding for us. I listed some verses out to the right, but let me just say to you, I, last week as the message was ending and we were singing a closing song, I just had this prompting across the ticker of my mind. You'll have to decide whether or not it was God or bad pizza. But what I sensed was this, is that God said, next week, ask people when they bow their heads to pray, what do they see in their imagination? when they pray to Jesus. What do you picture? Do you picture him right now being worshiped and honored and people in heaven glorifying him at God's right hand? Once you begin to get a picture of that, you will get some sense of how electrified the early disciples were by the Jesus they worshiped. They realized the words they often sang in Philippians 2. For God has highly exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord of all. And this is an amazing thing. And so when you and I pray, we need to know 
that he is still, he still has his scars. He's still a human being, but he's been glorified because he's God and human and he is the Lord of all. And what's amazing is, is he's at the place of power. I was thinking this morning, what does that mean? Like when he went away, why did he do that? Well, one reason is, is this way he can actually be more places at once. But here's what I picture. If you've ever seen an orchestra, can you picture someone directing? Jesus from the right hand of God is directing things in his church with his people and he's doing it through his Holy Spirit who we're gonna learn about in just a little bit. So that's the first thing, Jesus ascends. The next thing before the Holy Spirit is given is is notice what the believers do. If you're following along, the believers unite to pray together persistently. The believers unite to pray together persistently. Now verses 12 through 14, I'll ask you to be ready to read verse 14, but then here's verse 12 and 13. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem after Jesus had ascended from a hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. That's about two thirds of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. Friends, I just want you to notice, these are specific names. This is not something they remember in kind of a ooh way. These people actually were there. And they're saying, you can ask these people yourself. They all joined, okay, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Now that's the verse I have to listed. So let's read together in the, in the middle box. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. And here's how it finishes, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There's so many stories in there. I I don't have time to tell you, but it's amazing. We're going to see in the next verse that about 120 people are all gathered together. And what are they doing? They unite to pray together persistently. I like what A.T. Robertson says. They stuck to praying. So, How do you, when Jesus tells you to wait for power from on high, what do you do? They did two things. They did it together, but they prayed. Now, what did their prayers sound like? Did they go, um, did they just keep praying the same thing over again? I imagine a lot of their prayers were just, Lord, we don't know how to wait. Show us how to wait. We don't know what's in store. Prepare our hearts. We know you want us to do something together. You've given us this mission. Show us how to do it. But in the meantime, oh, we worship you because you're at God's right hand. We know you've ascended. We know you're gonna send us the power to live this out. We worship you. We think about what you did here on earth, the lives you touched, the way you changed my life. And I think they just turned a lot of that into prayer. I believe they sang their prayers. I believe that they sometimes were silent and just listened. But they spent that time, 10 days, they spent praying all together. Luke's gospel tells us that they were in the temple worshiping God constantly. So it was some kind of mixture of this upper room where they were meeting together that was large enough for them to all be together, but it was also at times in the temple courts. By the way, when the church eventually starts, it's temple courts and homes, temple courts and homes, big group, small group, big group, small group. This is the way they did life together. They prayed. Friends, I just want to say this. My prayer is that as we get more and more mature as a church is we'll find ourselves praying in our small groups. We'll find ourselves praying before we get anywhere near a church building. We'll find ourselves praying in this church building. We'll find ourselves just regularly saying, oh God, I need your help. I can't do this life. 
I can't follow you in this mission unless you show me. Use prayer to guide me so that I can adore you, listen to you, love you, so on. The next thing we see is that before the Holy Spirit is given, they are led by scripture and prayer. Led by scripture and prayer, they ask Jesus to fill Judas's place. Led by scripture and prayer, they ask Jesus to fill Judas' place. Now, some of you may not know the Bible well enough to know that Jesus had 12 disciples. One of those he selected betrayed him. Betrayed him by selling him to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. And they directed it to him so Jesus could be arrested. Jesus was arrested, falsely accused. And then he was beaten and he was raised up on a cross. They saw to that, and Judas was part of it, one of his own number that had traveled, lived with him for three years. So now, as we see in these verses, look at what Peter does as they stand up and look at how he's led by scripture and prayer and he leads the church that way. This is a guy that just a few weeks before was so afraid that he couldn't even be honest about the fact he followed Jesus. That gives me so much courage. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David, notice God's author, human author, concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. This should sober every one of us. It's possible to hang out in a church your whole life and never ultimately Give your life to Jesus completely. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. Excuse me if you haven't had breakfast or lunch yet. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama. That is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, and he quotes Psalm 69, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. That line there literally means you are everyone's heart knower. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. One of the things that uh, William Barclay says is this, it may seem strange to us that the method was that of casting lots, but among the Jews, it was the natural thing to do because all the offices and duties in the temple were settled that way. The names of the candidates were written on stones. The stones were put into a vessel and the vessel was shaken until one stone fell out and he whose name was on that stone was elected to the office. And so what we see here is that before the Holy Spirit is given, they actually use this method that had been used through the Old Testament was casting lots. We never see them use this method again because afterwards they were able to say it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. But the idea here is that they said, look, let's have the right criteria. When Jesus was looking for people that would be his leaders in witnessing to the world, what did he look for? People that one had been with him his whole ministry on earth and also that had actually met him after he rose again. 
So they said, we know at least a couple people that have that criteria. What about Justice? What about Matthias? And they put those names on those stones and they cast lots and Matthias' name is drawn. But notice that they say, Lord, show us which one you've chosen. They asked Jesus to pick the 12th apostle. Why are they doing this? They want to be spooled up, ready to go, so that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will be ready to witness in power and have their house in order so that they can move with God. And so they, they tie up loose ends. And it's just a fascinating thing. So they see him ascend into heaven. They pray together. They wait on him. They learn all kinds of things in those 10 days as they wait. And then they also make sure that they have all the things in order that they need to. That's their part as they wait for God to do his part. Now, as we come to the next section, I want to read chapter two with you. But I want you to notice that this is when the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, as we look at this, let me just read verse one uh, through three, and then I'm going to ask you to read verse four with me in that final gray box. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I love, by the way, our new strategy, life together. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, would you read verse four with me? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. I'll go on. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew Jewish converts and uh, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So notice this. This is called the day of Pentecost. It was already a Jewish festival, but on this day, this became a marker in the Christian church. If you're following along, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus rises and 10 days after Jesus ascends. But Pentecost means 50th. And so this was an Old Testament festival. <clears throat> William Barclay <clears throat> gives us a little information about this and listen to what he says. He says the Passover <clears throat> fell in the middle of April. That's the same time Jesus was crucified and rose again. Therefore, Pentecost fell at the beginning of June. By that time, traveling conditions were at their best. At least as many came to the Feast of Pentecost as came to the Passover. That explains how all the countries that are mentioned in this chapter were together. Never was there a more international crowd in Jerusalem than at the time of Pentecost. Now, let me, I want you just to think about this with me. What is God doing? He's preparing the timing. He's told them to wait. They wait. Now, there's never been a time when the whole world is in one place, at least representatives. People of every nation in the earth. They're all in this city. 
Again, Jewish background, converts to Judaism. So again, that's, they have at least a reverence for God or an openness to God, these people in the city. And then on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus has ascended into heaven, now after they've been praying, after they've been waiting, getting things in order, now the Holy Spirit fills them. This is an amazing thing. These were ordinary people. One of my favorite lines studying this week, it says, aren't all these people Galileans? Now, what they were saying by that is go, God could not have picked a more uncultured, unsophisticated set of country bumpkins than these people. How in the world? They're not even educated enough to talk like that. How are they able to talk? And that wasn't the only problem. They had a specific accent. I don't know if you remember when Jesus was being on trial, Peter tried to get close and uh, three times he denies Jesus. But one of the accusations that one of the people say is, you have the accent of a Galilean. That's where Jesus is from. You're one of them. And so what, what is the accent like? Um, someone said, if you've ever watched Duck Dynasty and you learned about Uncle Sai, that's about what this would have looked like that day when he speaks fluent Mandarin to the Chinese. I mean, this was like crazy. They were just like going, my gosh, this, this person, why, how are they able to do this? And so they, they could not pronounce guttural sounds very well. They tended to swallow syllables. So they would talk in a way that people just went, wow, they're not the smartest, you know, person. But that didn't matter. They were available. And God's looking for available people. Ordinary people that are available. Sophisticated people that are humbled and available. He's looking for all kinds of people. And on this day, he fills them. If you're following along, notice that his people are all together in one place when Jesus keeps his word. His people are all together in one place. Again, I don't have time to talk to you about the Holy Spirit in detail today. So we've taught on this before, both Steve and I. And here's just some, if you want to write these down and listen to these later. I know some of you say you love learning more about these things. So uh, Steve taught on the Holy Spirit, part one and two, back in 2012. Here's the dates, October 14th and November 4th. I taught on the Spirit of God back in 2018 on March 4th. If you want to write those dates down or listen, we actually go into more detail. But here's just a few things for Cliff Notes. The night before Jesus was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he was concerned for his disciples because he knew that they were feeling insecure. They were unsure of themselves. So he said, look, I just want you to know, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans when I go to the Father. Here's what he says in John 14 about the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you'll keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, here's what I want you just to notice. In the Greek language, when he uses the word another there, there's two possibilities. Another that's different than, and another that's just like. Which word do you think Jesus uses here? Just like. He says, you may be, the Holy Spirit's invisible. You may wonder what he's like. You need to know, first of all, he's the third person of the Trinity. He's just like me as far as deity, but also he's just like me in character. So when I send him to you, he is gonna help you be just like me. He will live in you. He's the Holy Spirit that has been indwelling me since my birth and I, my ministry has been controlled by him. We have done it together. And God the Father and I wanna send him to you. We promise you, we will send him to you. So notice in John 16, seven, he also gives the rationale for this. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you 
but if I go, I will send him to you. So not only by Jesus going to the right hand of God the Father now, he can actually direct things and actually be in multiple places and be interceding for you at the same moment he's interceding for me or someone on the other side of the world, he can handle all that. But also he says, look, if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit who can now live in you. If you're just with me in my physical presence, it won't be the same. But if my spirit's living in, no matter what situation you face, no matter who you're interacting with, my Holy Spirit can now live in you. There's been times in the last few months where because I'm more conscious of this, and it's such a privilege to be part of a church with so many of you that know the Lord. But sometimes when you ask me to pray for you, I remember that I just feel prompted to say, Lord, remind them that your Holy Spirit now lives in them too. And help them know you're gonna help them. Whatever it comes their way, and I pray you'll let thoughts go across the tick of their mind. Remind them of things you've said. Guide them into all truth. But do what you said you would do and glorify yourself through them. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person, friends. You and I are filled with a love for Jesus. We love him. We love what he says. We love people we didn't love before. We see the world differently. And Jesus says, I'm gonna keep my promise. And that happened at Pentecost. By the way, when these people are speaking in other languages, it could have been mechanical. I think what gripped the crowd was the fact that when they were speaking, they could tell the people speaking cared. God wants you to know this too. God cares about you so much. He can speak fluent you. He cares about you. Notice this, that suddenly his spirit comes like wind and fire. Suddenly his spirit comes like wind and fire. Oftentimes, notice it doesn't say wind and fire, but like. So there was a sound that people heard. There was a sight that people saw. There was speech that people heard. And so the sound begins to draw people, even that weren't part of that group. Now they're drawn in. But also it says it was a sound like wind, that the idea of like tornado wind. Anybody around Springfield in 2006? My wife says when that tornado came through our neighborhood, it sounded like a train. There's power in wind. And so the Bible says is that God, oftentimes his spirit is like wind. You can't see it, but you can see the effects. And so also the scripture says that he he is like fire. Moses encountered God at the burning bush where the bush was burning, but it did not burn up. The Israelites saw God descend on the mountain when the law was given, and he looked to them as a consuming fire. There was this authority and power. The presence of God is often described this way. Jesus actually told Nicodemus this about the Holy Spirit in John 3. Look at these words, if you would. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. But God did this on the day of Pentecost. And it is a mighty, mighty thing. You know, some of us say, you know, the wind's hard to understand. Amen. That doesn't mean it's not real. 
So a little boy once asked his grandfather, Grandpa, what is the wind? I cannot explain the wind to you, the old fisherman replied, but I can teach you to raise your sails. And I think that's what was going on before the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, he had 120 people that said, I'm open, I'm available, I'm scared out of my mind. This mission is huge. Fill my sails. And God did. And when he filled them, a lot of us may say, did they become weirdos? Because that's what some of us think when we hear the Holy Spirit. No, they became people more alive, more attractive, more helpful, more loving, more Jesus-centered than they'd ever been in their whole life. And they knew they were not the secret of their own life. It was the Holy Spirit filling them. So if you're following along, notice that all Jesus followers are filled and declare God's wonders to the nations. Again, his mission is starting to unfold. All Jesus followers are filled and declare God's wonders to the nations. I wanna just explain this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on some. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in to all who believe in Jesus. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus and you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit now indwelling you. That doesn't mean you're filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit all the time, but you now have the person of the Holy Spirit, third person of the deity living inside of you. Amazing, especially when we're ordinary like that. But also notice that when he came on people in the Old Testament, it was temporary or for a certain assignment. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes into people permanently. This is an amazing, you and I, wherever we go, for however long we live here on earth and into eternity, the person of the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And these are some of the amazing things that are true. I could say more, but let me go on and just say that way that we know this is that when they saw tongues of fire, do you notice the picture they saw? It looked like the tongues of fire were not just staying as a big ball of fire, but they were separating on each one. Now, I need to say something. Some of you, when you read these dramatic events, you're going to say to yourself, I've never seen God work that dramatically in my life. And I just want to tell you, they actually didn't see God work that dramatically all the time after this either. This was a very special day where God was serving notice. I have arrived at the right hand of God and kept my promise and I'm gonna help people. So we're gonna see that sometimes these people spoke to large crowds. Most of the time, they spoke to one person at a time. Sometimes they had interactions that were dramatic. Other times they had conversations with people where the people said, not interested. Other times they had conversations with the people that say, what must I do? There was an openness. I just want you to be aware of that because if you think that you are gonna compare yourself to these people, the way the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life may be different than your neighbor, but he wants to work in you just like he works in them, works in me or works in anybody you respect who's a follower of Jesus. Notice this, the crowd's response if you're following along. By the way, when I think of this nations thing, what happened after Pentecost? You know where some of these people went? Home. And what did they share? You're not gonna believe what happened when we went to Jerusalem. It was all about Jesus. We didn't know that. And we're gonna learn next week the answer to the question of what does this mean that they ask. But if you're following along, the crowd's response 
is that some are curious and others mock. The crowd's response is that some are curious. They want to know more. What's this about? Tell us more. And other people went, they've had too much wine. Translated, there's just a natural explanation for that craziness. And they didn't realize. And God was trying to open the eyes of the crowd and give everybody a chance. Now, so let's just think about where we are in history. Jesus Christ has come. He was born in a human body. He lived a perfect life. He made a perfect sacrifice for every person in the world on the cross. He rose again on the third day, just as he said he would. God raised him from the dead. And then for 40 days, he appeared to people and showed them that he was real. He was alive, that he was in fact who he said he was. At that point, he ascends into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and orchestrating and directing through his Holy Spirit here on earth. Then he gave his Holy Spirit to the church. Then he sent the, whole, you know, the church to go out to every place in the world, both our neighborhood, our family, and beyond. And then the Bible says, as we do that, he is coming back. And when he comes back, that will be the day of accounting. That will be the day when we are held accountable for how we responded for Jesus. The Bible says those of us that have put our trust in Christ will not have to fear condemnation. We will be able to look forward. He is gonna bring salvation to all those who are longing for his appearing. But others who have rejected him or put him off, that's gonna be a serious day. And one of the reasons why we wanna be his witnesses, humble witnesses, is because we believe that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that they all come to repentance, changing their minds. This is what God wants to do in the world and he want to, wants to work through ordinary people like you and me. Anybody else's knees knocking? Anybody else here saying, I need help. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's tempting. With the Holy Spirit, we can turn this into sensational events, but it's actually daily. So every morning, I've been walking with the Lord almost 45 years. Every morning, there's nothing fancy about this. Every morning, I've got to get down on my knees and say, I've never lived this day before. I'm dangerous when I try and live in my own power. I surrender to you. Show me how to be led by your spirit. Show me how to be a witness. What's a witness? Only someone who shares what they've seen, heard, or experienced, what they've learned from Jesus. And so again, some of you, it may not be fancy at all, but if the Holy Spirit now works in your life, here's what's amazing. You will want to love Jesus and have other people know Jesus too. You'll look at people with eyes differently than you used to. When you find yourself critical or judgmental, you'll go, oh man, the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to look at them the same way anymore. Now he wants me to look at them as someone for whom Christ died. And I pray that they might have the same privilege and opportunity and grace he's given me and you look at the world differently. So as we wrap this up, our part till Jesus returns is to be his spirit-empowered witnesses. Our part till Jesus returns is to be his spirit-empowered witnesses. Think about this with me. If you and I do not listen to him and take him seriously on this, this generation will miss an opportunity to hear Jesus. The Holy Spirit 
is so faithful, he'll find other ways. But do you want him to bypass us? I want to be part of it. I'm scared out of my mind. I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but I'm praying that my interactions and my everyday conversations might be touched by the power of the living God. That I might see people the way he sees them. That I might care about them, even if I've never met them before, even if they drive me crazy by certain other habits or personality quirks. Can I see them the way God sees them? Can I be like that? And even though they may think I'm unsophisticated and crazy for believing in Jesus, do I want to be his witness? This is our part. The last thing is, is that by his word, praying together, relying on his spirit's power, we can do this. We can do it. So I want to give some time as we close here to do two things. I want to sing together his praise. I want to worship him because he's at the right hand of God right now with God the Father and the Holy Spirit has been sent. We want to worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But also, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to read a corporate prayer after we sing. I wrote a prayer this week because I thought, what if we with one voice prayed and asked God to fill us with his Holy Spirit again and again and again so we can live out his mission? So would you stand And we're going to sing his praise right now. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.